We are now officially recording. We recording are is recording a podcast as we, now. As we just said, before we were officially recording, we are going to pretend we are in an extemp or impromptu category, and we are going to watch our time, and we are going to wrap this up in one hour or less. And do so with limited prep. <laughs> A very limited prep. That is also in the spirit of what we are talking about today. (laughs) (laughs) Because I just got back from two days in Galena, Illinois, visiting with some of John's friends. You just got home after dropping your roommate off at the airport to find another human being waiting to hang out with you. Yep. (laughs) Like... This we got we got stuff to do, but um, you know that doesn't mean we're not gonna go off on tangents or just have a chat. So like, how was your week, girl? How you doing? It was, I'm pre- I'm doing pretty good. How you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you. Like I yeah, we we had a fun weekend. Good. I'm glad. So, I'm a little sunburned. Can you tell? <gasps> oh my gosh, you are. I just thought yeah. that was the nighttime lighting because this is a nighttime podcast. No, I am I am red in the face because I spent approximately three minutes in direct sunlight. <gasps> Good so, for you. You know, my European blood was like, uh-uh, you must be punished. So, but yeah, it, like we were just in like northern Illinois, but it was so much nicer than Green Bay, Wisconsin, weather-wise, and it was sunny yesterday while we were out exploring this charming little town with all its little shops and whatnot. Um, I may have picked up something for somebody's birthday coming up in the near future. So, oh, your husband? No, his birthday. <laughs> I could tell you actually. I'm a little ticked at him about him because I was hiding his birthday presents in my uh, like laundry hamper. Because he never goes there. So what week does he decide he's going to do laundry? This week. He didn't see them, though, thankfully. He did see that there was something in there, and he thought it was weird. Um, but he didn't see the presents. So Yeah, if you guys didn't right. know, Kurt's husband, John, and I share the same birthday, which is next yes. Monday, April Fool's Day. Which is... Like, just super appropriate, but also super easy to remember. Hey! Hey! So, so yeah, but um, I, I was going to tell you a story. I may as well do it on mic. Um, just like <laughs> the, it's like, you've met these people because they were at the wedding, but yeah. like the most quintessential like thing happened, which is that I, we made homemade pasta. I was talking about that. Mm-hmm. But like part of the meal was like, I made a ragu in my instant pot and I just used like, beef from a cow and one of the families the mom looked at me and in all seriousness asked the question do you think this recipe would work with bear i've had bear before yeah yeah my grandmother shot a bear once and so i had bear jerky well apparently their middle child shot a bear last year when they went bear hunting which they do every year and i was just like that is so like so like one of these one of these families is very city and one of these families is very like country mouse they don't live in the country they live in lacrosse like it's not it's not like they live in in an act in the actual country but like they are so like they garden they they hunt the majority of like their food is like through sustainable resources because but not because they're like super eco-conscious just because they like hunt and grow a lot of their own food like it's just who do you they think they own a compound bow um almost certainly like i would bet money on it i haven't asked them but i'm almost i I, mean, I imagine they do all of the different kinds of hunting and wow. fishing and like they're just so self-sufficient we always say like if the zombie apocalypse happens goal Don't number people. one is get to their house Perfect. because our best chance of surviving is being with the lens family. Yeah, I just do. I have one follow up question. Sure, sure, sure. Will that recipe work with bear? I imagine. I don't know. It was it's in an instant pot. So it's being pressure cooked. And that yeah. basically just like turns any meat into good meat. So the thing is, though, I used like a, a chuck roast, which has a lot of really nice marbling in it. So like part of the deliciousness is that that fat renders and makes the meat really really soft and tender 
So I don't know. Does bear meat have marbling in it? Is bear meat soft and tender? Does it depend on what time of the year you shoot it? Because like I imagine when it comes out of hibernation, it's not that fat. So I don't know. Only time will tell. I told her to try it and let me know. So maybe next year we'll follow up and be able to tell people. But that was, yeah, that was just when she asked that question, I said to her right then and there, I was like, I'm going to tell people this story when I try to describe you from now on. Perfect. What are, what are the lenses like? Well, they shoot and eat bear. Yep. <laughs> like so. good Midwestern folk do. Right. Just nuts. But anyway, so I had a lovely weekend. Did you do anything fun? I, uh, well, actually, uh, Friday afternoon, I was feeling very just like I had a weird excess of energy. So I convinced my roommate, Katie, who is the one who left me today, um, that we should have a little like beginning of her spring break celebration. So as I celebrate and how I have a wild Friday night, we drove down to Grafton to go to their Goodwill because they have an excellent Goodwill. Um, and then we went out to a restaurant in Mequon, uh, the Cafe Hollander that recently opened up down there. And I got to try the Impossible Burger for the first time, which I was telling you about in our chat. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the Impossible Burger is a plant-based, scientifically engineered burger patty that is made to feel like meat, smell like meat. It is created to bleed, quotation marks around it. It And mine was prepared to medium rare, and I was so freaked out. I, like, I was very unsure the whole time, but as I... If anything is vegan on a menu, I want to try it because I don't have a lot of vegan options when I go to restaurants that aren't, you know, straight up vegan places. So I had to try it. And I heard a lot of people talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't do well with a Beyond Burger, which is another version of that being plant based and like trying to be like meat like. But it was weird. And as someone who has not consumed real meat in over a decade, I was very taken aback and had to like talk myself down from the idea that like it wasn't meat. And that it was fake and it was fake and it was fake and keep telling myself that. But it was good. Good. It was just weird. Like, so this is I, what we'll all be eating in 10 years when all the cows are dead, right? Yeah. When we've killed all of the cows, this is mm -hmm. what we'll be eating. But I just kept like flipping the sandwich towards Katie being like, it looks like it's bleeding. And she was like, I'm just trying to eat my fried chicken sandwich over here. Like, can you chill? <laughs> Um, and then we also finished uh, the entirety of season three of Queer Eye. That's what I did okay. with my weekend. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, also finished. Very good. Just so much crying. Yeah. It's, but in a good cathartic way. Mm -hmm. I agree. I, and, I am so much a fan of this new version of Queer Eye. I, I really liked season one and I felt like season two, they proved the formula worked, but I was still skeptical. But like season three, it was just like, they no, this just works. It. And like, they don't do a ton of episodes all at once, which I think is important. Like it's yep. they just keep doling them out in little, little bits little and nuggets. pieces. Um, I still don't understand what the culture person does. So I watched um, an interview of the four four of them, uh, Bobby and China, them on Jimmy Kimmel today. And Karamo actually does have a degree in psychotherapy. Oh, good. And he just applied that into social work. So he technically does have a degree to be like a therapist because that's sort of they what should, he does. Well, then why do they still call it culture instead of just like I mental think just from or, the, or like from well, well-being? Well, they changed a bunch of crap. They could change that. I know. They could stop saying culture and have it be about like personal well-being or. Yeah. I think they should call health. them self-esteem or the confidence sure. instead of culture. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot. Well, of that actually helps. I will admit I do tend to like just fast forward through his bits because a lot of what he does reminds me so much of the things we used to do when I was a youth minister with teenagers. Oh, yeah. When they were like, like, like you see the guy build up the wall? boxes. Yeah. yeah, like you're building a wall in your head. And I, but then you got to like bust through it. And I was like, I was like, this looks way too much like what we used to do in the basement of a church with like 14 to 16 year olds. And I 
I was like, I'm just going to bounce right through this and come out the other end having missed nothing. As someone who's never really worked in a traditional work environment, like I worked at a yoga studio for a super long time and then a fitness club while also doing that. And now I work in a weird creative community. I've never done like team building exercises, but I imagine that they are like that moment where it's like, mm-hmm. let's just cover ourselves in metaphor, like a nice sausage gravy and hope that we all get something out of it. <laughs> Or sometimes you literally just cover them with sausage gravy. Yeah. And then make a metaphor out of being covered in gravy. Mm, I want biscuits. Sometimes the gravy is real and the metaphor is something else. I don't know what I'm saying at this point. It's late. New merch. Sometimes the craving is real. That's I want a shirt that says that that is the title of this episode, Kurt Graves. I this I know that normally the, the title of the category is, but no, this week's episode is called Sometimes the Gravy is Real. Okay. Okay, deal. Perfect. Also, I realized yeah. this morning um we had some friends stay with us last night who were in town for a family event. So me being me, I woke up early, made them vegan pancakes and tater tots for breakfast and bunch of fresh coffee and then i also had a bunch of leftover blood oranges so i made a blood orange syrup from scratch but i didn't have a vessel to put it in because i don't own a gravy boat oh yeah me neither we should own gravy boats we're the kind of people who would own a gravy boat i actually looked at one this weekend at one of in one of the cute stores it um it was in the shape of a chicken sitting on a nest but it was also pure white so i was like that works that's your aesthetic. That's my aesthetic, like pure white, but kitschy. So I was like, okay, that could work. But it was like 60 bucks in this oh, little store. No. And I was like, no, I'll keep my eyes out for something else. But thank yeah. you. So I did, I actually, I looked at a gravy boat this weekend. Yeah. You know how I have the cow for my butter dish? I yep. think I'd like to find a cow for my gravy boat. Okay. Noted. Mm-hmm. Just going to mark that, that on my. I bet uh, that's out there. It's got to be. Um, so I also, uh, just wanted to bring up that we got some correspondence this, uh, this week, um, after last week's episode, we got just like a lovely message from Mark Adi, um, talking about, you know, that we shouted him out last weekend. And so I just wanted to say, Hey Mark, thanks for corresponding with us. Uh, we love it when people do that. And we love it in all sincerity. We're not making it up. And um, so thank you. Thank you for that. We like when Mark is nice to us. And just like that, I already have an Etsy link from (laughs) Melissa. Oh, so close. Ooh, vintage dark blue. I'm kind of into that. But then I'd have to change everything in my kitchen to dark blue. I don't think you would, Which but I, I guess not so. Ma- I'm not mad about that. <laughs> God, riveting podcast content. We're doing Just so great. Riveting. Um, you know what? Maybe I'll include the link in the show notes. And if you want to see... <laughs> <laughs> if you want to see the cow-shaped gravy boat I found on Etsy for Kurt, you can look at it. Just don't buy it in case he wants it. Um, <laughs> and then one thing we did... Because you and I have talked multiple times about how we are very into politics and how we think politics are very interesting. Um, we, I just want to talk about how – I know people say Twitter is an awful place, and it sometimes is. But I just want to give a shout out to the Twitter hashtag, it's Mueller time, when people are discussing the investigation. Uh, before we recorded this podcast tonight, um, uh the what attorney general yeah william um, Barr. yeah uh i didn't know if first name was william i was just like attorney general Barr, but that just sounds ridiculous i don't know who it is presented um a summary of the Mueller report uh which i <laughs> read a summary of the summary but i do right. have the official letter pulled up that i'll read later but um it's just a very interesting time for us to exist politically and i know that participating in the political process in 2019 is really really draining for a lot of people and a lot of people have been turned off from it and a lot of people um have to stay away from it for their own mental health and stuff but at the same time i really hope that if you can that you are taking a little bit of time to stay informed uh 
I've joked as we'll talk about later in this podcast uh, that the only time I before I got really into like really, really into politics during the Trump administration, a majority of my current events were during extent rounds during forensic season. But I really do hope that people are taking a moment to inform themselves and read direct sources of things and not just always listening to pundits opinions and not just finding out all of their news from their Twitter feed or from their Facebook feeds like there, We have so much access to everything. So I hope people are making the decision to go read about these things themselves. Uh, it's only four pages long, um, uh, Attorney General's uh, summary. So. Take the time to do it. Go get informed. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, go have someone funny and handsome and potentially named John uh, tell you what to think. Yeah. And I'm not not talking about about my husband. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. um, Yeah, you know, it's funny. I actually, this weekend, Friday night, I was very tired and I was ready to go to bed and I was going to say goodnight to the other people uh, that we were with. And I walked into a conversation about politics and you know how that fires me up. And we were actually, and I, I don't feel like I ever really even got to make the point I wanted to make because it got kind of like heated pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we were talking about some specifics things and one of them was uh, and they're, they're more conservative than we are. Um, and, and they were talking about just how sick they were of like the media during the government shutdown, because they felt like the media focused on all the wrong stuff and they never talked about how the shutdown would affect them versus affecting the federal workers. And so I chimed in with, well, what media are you watching? Because, you know, my media was telling me a lot of stuff about how all of us were going to be affected by, you know, the Food and Drug Administration shutdown and the the FAA and the security at airports. And like that a lot of those impacts of people being left uh, or uh, you know, suspended or, or not being able to go to work, like we still haven't seen some of of what that will mean because you have to kind of wait to see if anything was missed during that time. Um, And I was like, so it was just odd to me that like that wasn't being talked about in any of the media he listened to. Um, And we kind of moved off it really quickly. But the point I wanted to make there too, is like, you can't even like trust your news sources anymore. Like you have to know who owns your media. Yep. And go. And so, yeah, you have to go straight to the source sometimes. And that, Sometimes it's pretty easy to find out when somebody's making something up. Like if if you look at something and you question it, take a few seconds, take a couple minutes to like Google it. And a lot of times you can find accurate information pretty quickly um, because we are in a world where people who should be in positions of trusted authority just make stuff up. Yep. And and then the news will cover how much people said, you know, they'll cover the thing that was said and they'll fact check it in the article or in the news segment. But if you don't stick around long enough for the fact checking, then just the incorrect information is being put out there. And it was it was like one o'clock in the morning, probably not the right time for having that conversation. but. It's it's so important to to challenge people when they say like I just don't I like I'm sick of the media. It's like well the media is many things, and if yep. you're sick of the media you're consuming, look elsewhere because there is good responsible reporting still happening in many places, and there's good responsible reporting happening even in places that have a bias. As long as you know what the bias is and they're upfront yep. about it. That's okay too. So I I surprised this came up, but it, it came up this weekend. We and you, you made a you made a good a point bit. about it. Um so and I yeah, think and it, I mean I think it, it and feeds really just, well in what we're talking about today too. So agreed. And and speaking of like fake news, like there's a line in the report specifically that says like 
So no conspiracy was found as far as, you know, the Trump campaign colluding with Russia, but Mueller stopped short of exonerating the president uh, as far as obstruction of justice is concerned, because he's leaving that up to the a different department in the Department of Justice. And immediately Trump came out and said, full exoneration, the reports of full exoneration. And it's like, well, no, that's not true. That's not the whole truth. Um, so what a, what a great example of what we are talking about. Like you can't yeah. take, I wish we were, we lived in a world where you could take the president at face value, but you just can't cause there's going to be spin there. Yep. Um, and if uh, you can't, I want to be so careful cause I don't want to offend anybody. And like, <laughs> that's not the point of the podcast, but it's so important to just make sure that you double check the facts. I must have been boring you because now there's fun lights on in your house. I just realized how dark it was getting because I didn't turn on any lights before we started recording. And so it just is, I always do everything in the dark. So it just got real dark in my house. And I was like, I'm just lit by the awful light of this laptop and you weren't boring me. I, I could, we could do an entire episode about something like this and the ways mm -hmm. that it does apply to forensics and how we can get ourselves trapped up in certain aspects of it. And like, Honestly, I know that we normally we do like a big tournament wrap up here, but I like don't want to ruin this flow of conversation into into our topic. So I think we'll just say, let's just push the tournament wrap up to the end because. OK, OK, because I feel like Extemp is a great example of a category. Oh, by the way, this week we're talking about Extemp and Impromptu. We're talking about Extemp and Impromptu, <laughs> the WFCA's limited prep categories. And before we get into how the WFCA defines those things, I want to talk about how Extemp is a great place where students get that challenge of having to talk about something from all sides. There is a research burden on extemporaneous speakers that asks them to be able to talk about a topic from a non-biased standpoint while still being able to give their own opinion. We ask them to answer a question and it's almost always paused in a way of what, if anything, uh, to give them the opportunity to present a case, do so without bias, and then present their own bias. Mm -hmm. And in the time that we are live in the time that we are living in, we don't get a lot of opportunities to do that because everyone just wants to hear your opinion. They either want their own biases mirrored back at them, they want to exist in their echo chambers, or they want to be able to convince other people of their opinions and of their biases and i feel like extemp is this great place where kids aren't necessarily trying to convince me of a bias they're not necessarily trying to persuade me of a bias but they're trying to inform me and i and i feel like it goes underappreciated because limited prep categories are so scary yeah and they shouldn't be well I'm okay with them being scary as long as, <laughs> as you're willing to give it a shot and, and go forward and do it anyways. Yeah. You know, a lot of what we do is scary. Like if that's the threshold, nobody. <laughs> it's all scary, but I just wanted to, I just wanted to make sure we like, I just wanted to keep riding that wave into this yeah. topic of conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have the definitions handy? Should we get that out of the way? I do. Okay. All right. Girl. The WFCA defines extemporaneous speaking, which for the sake of the conversation, we'll call it short name extemp, as the extemporaneous speech should provide a direct response to the question drawn. The challenge to the speaker is to phrase a clear proposition and support it with contentions, which in turn are supported with evidence and reasoning. Questions will be based on current events. And mm -hmm. then uh, impromptu speaking, for sake of conversation, we'll call impromptu. The impromptu speaker should be able to quickly create and effectively deliver an original, well-organized, and imaginative interpretation of the designated topic supported by varied materials. The information presented should be well-chosen, pertinent, and sufficient to support the central thought of the topic, and organized according to some logical plan to produce a complete speech within the time allowed. All right. Fancy. 
Yeah. And it's worth mentioning at this point for anybody who is not from Wisconsin that in the Wisconsin Forensic Coaches Association, uh, impromptu used to be a supplementary category or a consolation category. Uh, so we did not have it as part of our three round structure. You just went and did one or two rounds of it after you did not make it into power rounds, if you so choose. If you so chose. Uh, so, but a couple years ago, we made it a full time category. So now it exists right next to extemporaneous speaking and all of the other categories that we have been talking about. And it's very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Because I love impromptu so much. Yeah. So we're talking about these two things together, but there really is, I think, a lot of difference in how you prepare to do them well. Yeah. Um, it, it, they use a lot of the same skills, but I think the, the big difference is in preparation. Yes. Um, and as you've already alluded to, the burden of the extemporaneous speaker is to be wildly, ridiculously, unfairly well-informed yep. teenagers. <laughs> um, their burden is to know more than most of the adults around them. Yep. To stay up to date on current events, to have readily accessible articles, essays, and other points of information to be able to draw from, to be able to support any opinion that they may have about the question drawn. And perhaps the most unfair part of that is because they are so well informed, more informed than most of the adults who will judge them. Not all, not all. I know some, I know some coaches uh, and judges who are like encyclopedias yes. of current events knowledge. I mean, so not all, but for most of the judges who will judge the extemporaneous speakers, they also then need to take that information and synthesize it in such a way that they can dumb it down for those of us who are like, I don't know what is going on with North Korea this week. What's happening? Tell you know? me more. Tell me more. Yes. Oh my, you know so much. Uh, so, so it's a, it's a big challenge for extemporaneous speakers. And um, this is where I will reveal that I actually, I, I did coach a national finalist in extemporaneous speaking and I have had a state champion in extemporaneous speaking, but I can't take much credit for what those kids did because they learned from the people before them. Yeah. They were debaters who joined the forensics team who were good friends with the, the debaters that came before them. And my role was really to just to try to make them practice speeches as often as they could. And I attempted to add a more human element into their speaking style. Mm -hmm. uh, but they were already good at what I think is the harder part, which is knowing how to gather the information. Um, and this was back when you used to actually carry tubs with pieces of paper in it. Uh, so they gathered the information, they created their own files, they shared information with each other, they worked together to create a tub that they could bring from place to place every weekend and know that there was something they could pull from when they needed it. And they did all that on their own. I didn't have to teach them that. I just had to teach them how not to be robots regurgitating information. Yeah, I have never, I've had like mildly successful extempers and all of them who were successful were directly translated from being policy debaters. Uh, and a lot of my time as an a coach is during the time where we have transitioned to purely digital filing. We did, I had a little bit of physical filing in the beginning of my coaching. Uh, but I, in high school, I did not do extemp, but because I was this person, I would occasionally help extempers file. Mm. So I would just hang out after school, cutting files for my friends and helping is there file. A cute extemper? No. That's that the worst into? the worst part. No. It wasn't even that I was into any of them. It was just that I had nothing better to do. And also, directly translates to my job now. I freaking love filing. I love it. It is so satisfying for me. It is exactly my kind of mundane task. And 
that came from when I was a policy debater in high school and we were still physically cutting and filing and then also helping extempers cut and file. But now they do it all digitally and it's so nice and it makes it so much easier because I remember having to buy plastic tubs and the wire racks and all the file folders and having to open up the back of the bus and load them all in and helping get the extempers off the bus first and helping them unload. And they always had dollies and it was a whole production. Yeah. It was so much. Mm-hmm. But I I love judging extemp. I love it. As someone who has always enjoyed politics and current events, and now even more so at this stage in my life, I enjoy being informed. I love that it is a category where we have teenagers who are informed and are going against the stereotype of Generation Z. Uh, And it is, it can be just so interesting, (laughs) especially I've judged a lot of extemp on the national level. and. Those, like the level of expertise those kids have blows me away. Agreed. I've also judged a lot of extemp. I wonder why that is. Why do we keep getting put in extemp pools um, at nationals? But yeah, but especially by the time you get to nationals, it's just unbelievable. Sometimes like you almost have to step back from yourself and be like, are they just making this up and they're stating it so confidently? Cause like, man, they know so much and they've many of them, by the time they get to nationals have been using a lot of the same quotes and the same statistics for several months. And so it's, it's become a part of their, you know, it, it's not only that they can pull the file, but they know it because they've used it time and time again. Um, one of the skills that you can do to become really good at extemp is have a few of those widely applicable, you know, quotations or statistics readily available to pull from in your mind. It's not all about memorizing seven minutes brand new each time. So by the time they get to nationals, they just have such a wealth of of, of things in their back pocket to pull from. And it's so impressive. So- it is so, so impressive. Um, so let's let's try to break it down. Like, what is something that you think like how how maybe not how do you practice with kids if you haven't had a lot of them? And I haven't in many years either. But like when you see a really successful extent performance, like what are the hallmarks of a really successful extent to you? This is going to sound really stupid, but it's the most common thing that I write on an extem speech that doesn't go well, answering the question. Yes. It sounds so stupid, but it's not just a prompt for the speech. It is a question you are expected to answer. Mm -hmm. And so if a student gets up there and just sort of describes the history of a conflict in a foreign country, but doesn't answer the question of whether or not their new government is going to push it in a new direction, mm-hmm. then they haven't done their job. Or if they it's get not- up there and they, I would rather a student admit that they can only speak in analytics. Like if they get a, a question that they don't have the research for, but if they can get up there and give me some semblance of analysis with information they do know and they successfully answer the question, that is still going to be a better speech for me at only maybe even four or five minutes out of the seven than someone who gets up there and can speak for the full seven minutes and has sources but does not answer their question. Mm -hmm. And it seems really stupid, but it's really common for me in judging extemp that almost every round I've judged there's been a student who doesn't actually answer the question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, well, and that's the thing too, is like it, as much as you must have information as a part of your speech, it's not an informative speech. Yeah. It is. It is a persuasive speech. You are to answer the question and tell me why you're right. And, and it, so if you don't, if you and if, if you, if no opinion exists, well, you haven't answered the question then. Yeah. But I think it's different than like an oratory 
or even as we talked about in Poi, where you're trying to persuade me to agree with you. You're just trying to persuade me to the idea that the evidence that you've shown justifies your opinion. Like, I don't have to agree with your opinion. I don't want you to walk out of the room making me believe your opinion, but I want to walk out of the room believing that you were right, which is why I said earlier that I like that extemp isn't necessarily traditionally persuasive, but I will agree that it is a kind of persuasion. I think and what you're can, describing is a persuasive speech, though, <laughs> that, I, that they answer the question and then they support their their answer with enough information and conviction that you agree with their answer to the question. I, they've persuaded you. But, um, or if, even if they've justified their opinion to a degree that you can agree that their answer isn't wrong, they've persuaded you. I guess so. Are we getting into the semantics of like what persuasion is? Well, but like for me, oratory is someone trying to persuade me to bring my attention and to care to an issue and to take action about that issue. Whereas in extemp, I think that it is a level of just persuading me to believe that you are right. I don't necessarily have to agree that the way to solve the conflict in uh, like the way to like fix the national debt in Greece was to do a certain thing, but I have to believe that like that you do. Maybe that's maybe that, and yeah, it probably is semantics. I just don't want to mm-hmm. sound like a fool when someone's like, "But wait, they just Melissa just said before that it's not persuasion, and that's why she likes it." But I guess it's just for me. I feel like there are different there are different levels of persuasion. I think it's all persuasion. And I think to a certain degree, that's what oratory is, too. We haven't gotten to oratory yet. But no. Am I distracting I mean, I, you with this dance? No, not really. Okay. I hope I was hoping uh, a distracting dance would help me not sound stupid. Now I'm really worried that I sound stupid, but that's okay. Well, we, it's not... Uh, you don't sound stupid just because you and I don't agree on something. But maybe I do. Melissa... I I know if I've said it to you once, I've said it a thousand times. Approach this like you're a white man. (laughs) (laughs) I can't. I'm just saying my opinion and you're saying your opinion. And it's okay that our opinions are not the same. I think there's more in common with oratory and extemp than you're alluding to. That's fair. Because I think a very successful extemp can do a lot of what a very successful oratory does. Okay. In that you can. Well, now we can talk about oratory next week. Well, we'll see. (laughs) Next week may be a very special episode. We have to chat about it. Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, Yeah. Anyway, um, I guess that that little nugget. I guess there is a level of persuasion to it because it is because oftentimes it can be really like really specific questions that well they should be really specific questions that they're answering and Mm -hmm. a lot of the times people who are walking into them don't know about it and so the goal is that you walk away having judged a speech that has informed you and persuaded you to engage with a conflict or an issue or a topic that you might not previously have been engaged with. I just want to know that the kid used information to justify their answer. And I want the answer to be clear. I mean, really that's what it boils down to. And then on top of that, it's very nice if like you are talking in such a way that I don't feel like you're panicking. Yeah. Um, you know, your pace and your rate doesn't have to be as practiced as we would expect from a memorized speech that has been written and memorized and delivered. Uh, but that you're understandable. Your tone is conversational. I feel that I'm being uh, spoken to and not being yelled at. You know, uh, the, you know, the physicality of extemp, you know, doesn't have to be as polished. And so there's a lot of, you know, just conversational gesturing. And I don't, I don't mind so much there if, you know, you really just are using your hands to emphasize a lot. 
Yeah. Uh, whereas like I would want that to be a little more polished in a speech category where it was memorized. Um, so, but, but for the most part, you want to be able to understand and easily follow the speaker. Um, and if I can feel your anxiety or I can't understand you because you're speaking too quietly or like you're just really trying to get through all the information that you know. And by three minutes in, you've already said every point that you could think of. And now you've got four minutes to go. And now I'm going to slow it down. And my conclusion will take two and a half minutes before I give up and accept that I've given a five and a half minute speech. Is this personal experience, Kurt? Thank you. Yes, it is. I think anyone who's judged extemp has seen that kid do that. Or or the reverse of it, which I think is more common, which is they get to six minutes and realize they still have their third and final point to make and have to get through some sort of conclusion of restating their the question and their answer to the question. And then it's just like, we are off to the races. Yeah. Oh, oh. And making them, seeing them try to come up with a really clever way to succinctly restate their entire argument um, in one breath. It's actually a little entertaining. I'm not going to lie. True. I don't, I don't hate it when it happens. But, but, uh, but I'm also looking at them with the eyes and like with the stopwatch in my hand, like we both know what needs to happen here, buddy. And go. <laughs> like, uh, so for a lot of people, the thing that is really scary about extemp outside of the limited prep is the actual prep you are allowed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think is the best way to make that less scary? Um, as far as just the gathering of like filing? Yes. Um... I mean, to a certain degree, it's luck of the draw. And, and, and part of the way the category is created is you do get to have some choice, even in the luck of the draw. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in, in extemp draw, you get to pick three questions and pick the one you like the best of those three. And there's always an opportunity that like, you may not know any of them, but it's, it's likely you will have researched something from there. And so I actually uh, like to take sort of like a radio approach to it when I've been filing with kids, which is to say, let's look at something local. Let's find something national. Let's find something international. And as long as we do that, like every single day, preferably you're doing five or so a day in your filing, um, you'll have something to draw from. Like you won't go in empty handed. That's got to be the bare minimum. You don't like you just can't go in empty handed. You got to be prepared to talk about at least the the top line stories of every week. And so, uh, you know, I I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, Google News or uh, Yahoo News and just kind of like scroll through their top stories and especially on google you have the ability to sort by national international domestic sports local stuff like that where you can just kind of see like again look at like what the top five stories are in each category every day and if it's interesting pull it and i'm not saying you have to read all 200 pages of information that you pull but read the headline read the first paragraph know the content of what's in that story And then file that away in the back of your head that you kept that information. And if you pull a question that relates to that information, you can confidently say, I'm going to pick this one because I know I have a file. Yep. Most everyone. And now it's so much nicer because you can you can put it into different folders on your hard drive. But you can now search your hard drive for relevant information. Whereas before you had to literally put them in a folder labeled. Myanmar and then file it away under the M's and go back to it. So filing used to take so much more time than it does now electronically. Yeah. Um, And I would like to, at some point during this podcast, and I'm just going to throw it out there real quick. We should change our rules to make internet research acceptable. We're, we're not really helping kids anymore 
by not allowing them to use the internet to do research. We're saying you have to use the internet to do your research, but you have to do it before you show up at the tournament, even though all of these kids are moving into a college career and a, an actual career where they will have access to the internet whenever they want it. Yeah. And teaching kids how to use the internet responsibly in the moment would be a good skill to teach them. 100%. Yeah, I agree with that. So at WFCA, it's, t- it's time to address that. Yeah. And we should be letting our limited. Yeah, we should be letting our limited prep students use the Internet. All right. I feel like we've talked it's a lot everywhere. about extemp and we so true. Need, we have 20 minutes. We need to talk about impromptu. I I was part of the big corral of people who were like impromptu needs to be all the time. We ran impromptu as a regular category at our home tournament for two years before it became a category that we just uh did as consolation so it is very exciting for me i very much love it and i feel like it is and i've talked about this before it is a great place to put a kid who doesn't exactly know what they want to do but needs to be competing and doing something because it accommodates kids who are like kind of awkward and don't know what they want to do. It accommodates kids who are really funny and don't know what they want to do. It accommodates kids who are really quick on their feet. And like, it just, it has space for all different varieties of kid. And it's a great place to have them doing something and then maybe figure out afterwards somewhere else that they might want to go uh, that doesn't feel necessarily as temporary as some people feel like impromptu is. But there are other kids who impromptu is their jam. And they're mm-hmm. good at it. And I feel like one of the things that makes people really good at impromptu is a level of natural charisma. That's exactly the word I was going to use was charisma. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to say something potentially controversial here and feel free to clap back at me, um, either you personally or people on the Internet after the fact. I don't think you can teach someone to be a good impromptu speaker. I think you're either good at it or you're not. I think that you can teach someone to be better. Sure. Of course, you can always improve somebody. But I think there are some people who have the ability to think on their feet, recall their own personal stories and anecdotes and be able to wrap it up in and, and start talking to start talking without knowing how it's going to end, yeah. but still be able to tell an effective story, an effective anecdote, uh, a, a sh- to share an opinion, um, and to be able to think on their feet enough to be able to be successful at impromptu. And there are some people who will never be able to organize their thoughts in less than five minutes. I just, I think that's something you either have or you don't have. Agreed. Um, And so some kids, yes, like you see it in them and you want to push them towards it and they will naturally be good at it. And then you work with them to make them better at it and to make them great at it. And there are other kids who will try it and walk out and just be like, I didn't like I left my body in that moment and I don't know what happened. And I and then I look at them and go, "Okay, so that's not for you. Yeah. On to the impromptu is not for you. Yeah. Okay." Because you can't you can't prepare for it, you know, even to the extent that like extemp speakers can do research and be and and have that level of preparedness. And then they have 30 minutes to come up with seven minutes of content Um, to just be able to walk into a room and speak off the cuff is a totally different talent. A whole other ballgame. And it's something that can be toned and made better. You know, it's sort of like some people are singers and some people are not singers. And you can take a non-singer and you can teach them pitch and you can teach them, uh, you know, cadence and and you can get them from a non-singer to somebody who can like sing a song maybe in like a choir group. But that person's never going to be like a soloist. If they don't if they don't have the ear. For pitch, then it's not going to happen. I'm, I get the message, Kurt. Okay. I understand. I, it was not a personal attack. Um, Are you, you sure? You, you and my husband like to do that to me a lot. It was not a personal attack. I'm just saying like, 
No, I agree with you, that. So, some people can hear pitch and some people can't. Yeah. And if you can't hear pitch or you, you can't keep a beat, then you can't do it. And uh, you can you can work on it and you can get better, uh, but it's never going to be something that you're great at. Yeah. And I think with impromptu, it's the same thing. You can think on your feet or you can't. And there's nothing wrong with you if you can't organize your thoughts in less than five minutes. Yeah. But if I, you're somebody who needs to think about things and prepare, that's, that's okay. fine. But I feel like if you as a coach or you are a student who just doesn't know what category to try, I feel like going into impromptu, giving it a shot and seeing what the positive aspects of the performance were on that critique sheet can help push you to a category that you would be good at. If someone says you have a really natural like speaking voice, you sound really like I just like listening to you. Maybe you need to write another speech. Maybe you need to try radio or someone says, you know, that speech made no sense, but it was really funny. Figure out another way to channel that aspect of your performance, mm-hmm. figuring out the things that you do know translate, even if the ability to throw together and perform a speech in five minutes is not that talent. Sure. I feel like, and I know that it seems kind of, I guess it, I don't want it to sound like I am crapping on the category by saying it's a way to just like audition for forensics. But I feel like it it has a potential to be a good technique for someone who just really doesn't know what they want to do. And as we've said before, sometimes you just need to jump in and just try something and figure out what you don't want to figure out what you do want. Like, that's the best way to decide how to go out to eat. And it's the best way to decide in what category you're going to compete. Yeah. And and it is a you may discover the next great impromptu talent yeah. that way, too. You know, you never know until you try it. Yeah. But if you try it and it's not for you, that's OK, too. That's OK. That's OK. Um, so this category didn't exist when we were in high school other than as a consolation. But what do you how do you I think- don't even remember it happening as a consolation? Like well, I remember I being a consolation at state. I think my like senior year. I don't remember that. I But I never did constellation events. I was too busy like chilling and socializing and taking pictures and hanging out in the cemetery, you know, regular teen stuff. I, w- I wasn't usually free for the constellation. <gasps> Big Just flex. my junior year. Big ju- flex. My junior year I would have been free for it, but I don't think it was available. Interesting. I don't know. I don't know. Somebody who was around back then, back when we used to do state at UW Oshkosh was. Was impromptu a consolation event that I just didn't know about? Somebody chime in. Somebody tell me who remembers someone from back in the day. Yeah. Someone from the late 90s, early 2000s. Chime in. (laughs) Get back to us. Um, Yeah. So when I'm judging impromptu, which I don't get to do very often because I have a lot of kids that do it, I believe and I'll tell my students this. Ideally. If you need it, if you can go two minutes of prep for three minutes of speech, you're doing great. Mm -hmm. In a perfect world, when you're really good at it, it's like a minute of prep for four minutes of speech. So you can give yourself 30 minute, 30 second intro, 30 second conclusion with a minute for each of the like three points if you need them, if you're going to do a traditional speech layout. And I also believe that nearly all impromptu is improved with anecdotal additions. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I think it's essential. It, what else are you drawing from if not your personal experience? Uh, there are some people who use impromptu as like a weird acting exercise where they just like lead you through like a fantasy role play of sorts. I have not seen that. You haven't? I am so glad you warned me about that, because if I did, I think I'd make a face at the kid. There are students who will take an impromptu prompt and use it to, like, enact a scene of sorts or, like, exist inside of some sort of, like, fantasy that they're building. I'm so surprised you've ever seen this. I've never seen this. I've never seen that approach to impromptu. I saw it. Not that I've judged a ton of impromptu, but I've never seen that approach. I saw it twice last year. I haven't judged any impromptu this year, but. I've seen the opposite, which is like people who use impromptu as like 
another version of extemp. Yeah, I've seen that too. Where they like try to come at it with like so much information. And all of those like little nuggets we were talking about earlier in extemp, they pull them out. So they're quoting people, they're using statistics and polling information. And it's like, I see you. Wasn't? That was more, that that happened more often when it was a, a consolation category because the extempers who didn't power just went and did impromptu and treated it like extemp. I was going to say, there was the one year where your two really good extempers who had both state final the year before didn't break to the final round and then took first and second in impromptu that year. Yep. Yep. Oh yeah. I have also, by the way, had a state champion in impromptu back when it was a consolation category, but it was, yeah, my two extempers got first and second. That's crazy. I love it. Yeah. But, you know, it. the the other thing I would say to, to kids who are doing impromptu is like, one, don't overthink it. No. Whatever your first reaction, it's almost like a Rorschach test. Like you have to look at the prompt and whatever your first thought is, go with it. Don't try to come up with like the perfect way to approach this quote or this like go with your gut. Your instinct is is there to help you in this category. It's an impromptu speech. And the second thing I always say too is don't ignore that note card. No. Use the provided note card. Write yourself a little outline because once you get going, it's nice to have something to glance back at and be like, what was the point I was making here again? Oh yeah. Don't don't ignore the tools that you're given in the category. You can use one note card. You can make notes. Write yourself a little outline. Use that two minutes to think about what it is you want to say that does not mean scripted out just point by point what you want to make um and bring a timing device yeah i don't understand how kids do impromptu without a timing device bring your phone on airplane mode go buy a kitchen timer like don't ask your judge to give you time signals we have 5 minutes within which to give you feedback on your critique yeah. sheet it is not enough time at all for us to hopefully be able to give you something worthwhile to work on and something worthwhile to bolster you with. If we, you're also expecting us to give you time signals or let you know, like sometimes I'll, if I have a student who gets to three minutes and I feel like they haven't been using their time wisely, I'll tell them like three minutes have elapsed. But just bring a timing device, dudes. You all yeah. have phones. I know you all have phones. Yeah. Just use them. Actually, the oldest son of the bear meat people, he does not have his own phone. Oh. And he's in high school. But I mean, they they asked if you could make my Italian ragu with bear meat. Yeah. So. Yeah. At least I think he doesn't have his own phone. He wasn't on it all weekend. So. And he's a junior in high school. I'm assuming he just doesn't even have it. That's so interesting. Um, and I know. If you don't have They're one, go fascinating buy a kitchen people. timer. Kitchen timer. I used a kitchen timer as a timer in high school. Yeah. Or, or a regular stopwatch. Ooh. Sporty. Yeah. They're in every sports section of any like big box store and they cheap. They real cheap. They cheap. At, at the hardware store in Sheboygan, I bought like 20 of them. They were 99 cents a piece. I still have a few left over after handing them out to any kid or adult who wanted them for several years. Yeah. And guess what? They still work because it takes very little battery power to run a yeah. stopwatch. So it's a, it, there's no excuse for not having some kind of timer. Yeah. Don't show up to impromptu without a timer. Yeah. And please don't ask your judge to not pay attention to your speech enough to be able to give you time signals if yeah. you can. It's it's much better. You, you'll like your experience much better if your judge doesn't have to pay that much attention to the time. Yeah. Are there any like extempers or extemp speeches or impromptu speeches that have like stood out to you as like, this is the gold standard of what we should be looking at? One of my favorite moments of being a forensics coach happened watching the a semifinal round of uh, Extemp at CFL Nationals the year Brandon broke to finals because I went to see his semifinal round and he went first. And it was a like he had picked a, a question that we had worked on several times. I had heard speeches uh, on this particular topic 
several times throughout the year. So it was like, yes, luck of the draw. He got a good one. He knows this. Watching him get up and perform so well and then watching every kid come after him and being able to walk out of the round being like, he's going to finals at nationals because there's no way that the judges didn't recognize that he was the best in that room. Yeah. Due partly to skill and preparation, but also due to luck. Like he knew that topic and he performed it flawlessly. It was like watching a a short oratory. That's so exciting. So like, it's one of my favorite memories as a coach. And again, not taking a lot of credit for that because he was so talented and smart and he learned from the extempers before him, but still it was so much fun to be in the room and watch him succeed at that level and just be so certain that like, unless there was something wrong with the judges, which happens sometimes he was making it through and he did, he sailed through. Yeah. He's a lawyer now, right? I don't know. I think he's a lawyer. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Is it, it has he had time to get through college and law school? Yeah. Because that would make me sad. Oh God. That was yeah, like, I think it was he like just graduated from law school like last year. But yeah, <sighs> I know he's married. So there's that. Yeah. Um, I will say I don't necessarily have like an extemper that sticks out to me. I mean, I'll give a shout out to my girl Hollis, who is my student, who is one of the only people I've ever known who like would genuinely enjoy extemp and like would enjoy filing. But part of that was that she also did student Congress. So a lot of the filing and information she was collecting for Congress applied to extemp. Uh, And she also did oratory. But the thing for me that I think is a great example of high level extemp is obviously national finals extemp. And the fact that one of the things that they do for that is the kids ask each other questions about the speeches that they just gave. And part of what they're being critiqued on by the judges is being able to answer those questions. And it just shows you how well informed those students truly are that they can still rebut their own speeches uh, and that they are able to ask each other questions as intelligently as they do. And it just, it it's another one of those moments in forensics that makes me so proud to be someone who gets to advocate on behalf of this activity and advocate on behalf of the voices of teenagers who are so like people just underestimate them completely. And then we get to, I get to sit at my work computer watching extend final streaming at nine o'clock in the morning on Friday and just being so excited because a kid is up there like describing the effects of microeconomics on like a sub-Saharan African country and you are just like rooting them so hard Mm -hmm. and it just makes me so happy. Also, I have to say this because my students make fun of me for it every time. Extemp is a very male heavy category and if you are a girl who does extemp or did extemp and you get on a final stage i want you to know that i cheer as loud for you as i do any of my own students because i just get very excited to see girls doing something that people believe is a mostly masculine thing but this year almost all the final rounds i've seen like when they're on the award stage are pretty evenly balanced in gender so we love we were we were chatting about that last year during the finals it was like oh another girl We loved it. We I loved do. It. So, uh, okay. So we have two minutes before our hour is up. Okay. Tell me about the Denmark tournament, which was actually at Oshkosh West. So it is referred to as the Mr. Rob Lynch legacy tournament, who is a coach at um, Oshkosh West. Uh, really uncomfortable at a moment when Dave was like talking about his legacy and talked about how there was a group of kids who were affectionately referred to themselves as the Lynch mob um, in high school, I just want to talk oh. about how that is not okay and made me uncomfortable. That's, and it did not age well. It did not age well at all. And it genuinely, yeah. it was something that I know that to him and to those people is probably a fond memory, but it made a lot of my students very uncomfortable. Um, so maybe let's not do those things. But uh, Scotty and Dave... Um, powered through some issues in the morning. There were a lot of printer issues with their tournament, but they made it work. They still got everything to end on time. Their power round still uh, started early, which was really exciting. I was the only female in their tab room. Um, I think I was mostly there for my hair and not necessarily for gender representation because it was a lot of balding white men. 
<laughs> just so many of them but i had a really lovely day uh dave winkler and i did the intake table together so i've never really gotten to just like sit and chat with dave for a whole day and that was just so nice because he is Isn't he the best truly just so delightful my students were like how would your day go i was like i got to hang out with dave winkler so my day was basically walking on sunshine and just having a great time and it just made me really happy. And so we just got to like, we got to give each other advice about coaching issues that we've been having and just like chat through stuff. And it made me so happy. And I just loved it so much. And I've run out of time. It was a great tournament. And I guess I won't get to tell you the funny anecdote that I saved for the podcast about me embarrassing myself and you not being there to witness it. Oh, well. Okay. We will allow an extension for one embarrassing anecdote. Okay. So at Oshkosh West High School, it's a very strangely laid out high school. There are a lot of courtyards. It's very long. So outside of the intake room, like behind the intake table, outside of the tab room, there was a bicycle. It had a basket on it and there were little like um, streamers hanging from it. And I thought it was just like a raffle prize for something or just like maybe their mascot rode it. I didn't pay too much attention to it. Scotty did offer to let me ride it. I did not ride it. But... I was looking at the bike being like, this is really weird. Oh, there's a light. I want to turn on the light. So I go to press one of a series of four gray buttons on a little box. And instead, this bicycle, which also happens to be located outside of the draw room of the library where students were in the middle of prepping for their round three speeches. A very large, loud, loud, loud alarm begins to sound while the lights flash. Because that bike is the police liaison officer bike. And it just had a series of loud noises. And I just was stabbing these buttons trying to get it to stop. And it took me so many tries to find the right button. And the noises just kept getting louder and getting faster. And no one is helping me. And there's so many men standing around me just laughing at me until I could finally silence it. And I felt so bad for the whole draw room because they were all just trying to prep for their round three. Girl. Don't touch a button when you don't know what it does. I thought it was going to make pretty light. <laughs> and it did, but it also made a lot of <laughs> noises. Oh, man. Also, this Good is- job. Thank you. That's a good anecdote. I mean, I was highly embarrassed and felt so bad for all those students. So if you were one of those students, including my students, um, I am very sorry that I interrupted you, <laughs> but both of, both of you my- You are an equal opportunity interrupter. Yes, I am. Um, but both of my students who were in there for radio actually broke to the power round. So it's now just a sign of good luck for me to be totally obnoxious outside of the draw room. So now I have to do it all the time. Just no, you don't. No, you're not. <laughs> so yeah, that's what happened to me. Oh, good job, Melissa. Thank you, Kurt. <laughs> wait, wait, and also thank you for sharing because, like, you could have kept that to yourself, but you shared it with our listeners, and they appreciate it as I'm sure as much as I do. So I just like you. to show a lot of vulnerability to encourage other uh-huh. people to be vulnerable back at me. Good. All right. Well, with that, we have uh, we've gone over time. We can't get yeah. the one in this round. No, but, I, but I hopefully think it's okay. we still are spirited enough to get the two. Uh, also, my dinner is standing in the other room from me, waiting for me to consume it. I'm Mine so should be hungry. ringing the doorbell any minute. So um, let us let us say goodbye and uh, and well, that's it. Let us just say goodbye. 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 Proven my point from earlier. Thank you. You're being the evidence in my extemp speech right now. Forensic Spaces is proudly produced in Wisconsin, the birthplace of the National Forensics League. Our theme song was written and performed by J.J. Hammeister. If you're a fan of Forensic Spaces, the best way to support the podcast is to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can get in touch with Melissa and me by emailing listen at ForensicsFaces.com. You can also find links to all our social media accounts and that online merch store by visiting ForensicSpaces.com. I'm Kurt. And I'm Melissa, encouraging you to listen, think, and speak. Preferably in that order. Preferably in that order.